Good morning. How's your summer been? I, we've been here 24 years, and I can certainly say, I, I think it's an easy thing to say, that the weather has changed. I remember when Nancy, when we first moved here, we would just like huddle up and just pray, God, please make it nice by July 4th. <laughs> and that seemed like that was like the, that was the hump, right? Even the weather forecast would say, hey, once we get past July 4th, you know, we'll see some sun and some warmer temperature. And I, I remember at times Nancy would come walking in, she's angry. I'm like, what's wrong, sweetheart? It's, it's early June, maybe mid-June. She goes, it's June and I can see my, my breath. She just was upset about that. And uh, oh, to see our breath again, right? Um, but I, and I, I realize we say a lot about the weather here, and I, and I hope I didn't just play into the stereotype as I probably did. But I thank God for the sunshine. I just, we get to see his creation. It is, it is fantastic. It's beautiful. Now, that being said, I'm going to pivot. We are starting a new message series. It's called The Sickness Within. Welcome to High Point, all right? Ah. <laughs> uh, we're just saying, uh, God, I, I'm prone to wander. Man, I, I would say that is something I can relate to. Can you relate to that? Where here's this moment, you've got God and, and everything's just fine, right? And then there's a shiny thing over here. And you're just prone to kind of wander. And, and, and we get into all kinds of messes that way. Sometimes it's just a mess inside, but a lot of times we mess people all around us because it just kind of leaks out of us. And so this morning, we're gonna start with the sickness that's within all of us, yours truly. And we're going to ask God, help us. How, how do we fight lust? And how do we fight pride? And how do we fight envy? And how do we fight gluttony? And, and those kinds of things that are all within us. How do we do that? So I'm, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. Uh, and I, I do this. I want us to sense that God is present. When we walk in here, I don't know what's on your mind. I know what's on my mind. I know when we were preparing and the worship team got together, I, I just asked them, and I said it as much for myself as I said it for them. I said, guys, we're in the presence of God, and there should be a healthy, holy fear of him. So I'm going to pray to that end. Will you join me in that? Father, forgive us when we cavalierly just go through the motions. It's just easy for us to do that. It's easy for me to do that. But God, you're so much more than just someone we should go through the motions for. You're amazing. You're perfect. You're beautiful. You're holy. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word now, that we will do so in the right, with the right heart, with the right attitude, coming to, to desire for you to shape us in the likeness of your son. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's tuned in. And I know that we come from all different walks of life and we're at different places spiritually. And the amazing thing is you're God and you can speak to each and every one of us right where we are. I pray you would do that through me. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. Please speak loudly and clearly to each and every one of us for your glory and the good of your people. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, in keeping with the sickness within, I would like to, believe it or not, I would like to start reading and looking at the very first death in the Bible, human death in the Bible. Isn't that a wonderful place to start? Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Don't bother turning there. It'll be up on the screen. 
says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve. And as she conceived and gave birth to Cain, she said, I have a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flock, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So apparently in Cain's offering, there was something that did not honor God, unlike Abel's. Now, if you were Cain and you saw God bless Abel and not bless you, in the sickness that is within us, would there not be some aspect of looking at Abel in a way that probably doesn't honor God either? Well, Cain does a whole lot more than just looking at Abel in that way. In verse eight, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain clearly is upset. And he's upset that his offering wasn't accepted. And what made matters worse, this wasn't alone. This was be, this was his brother whose, whose offering was accepted. And what we have here very early in the Bible is we have a universal sign of the sickness that is within us and it is envy. It is, it's, it's not jealousy. We confuse jealousy and envy and I'll, I'll straighten that out in just a moment. It is wanting something that Cain did not have, but Abel did have, and that was the favor of God. And, and, and it became, he became so envious and so upset, and there was such a painful feeling inside of him that he killed his brother over it. Now, we all have envy inside of us. We'll all, we are all envious at times. In some cases, you came in here, and just in a conversation or just in a look, envy was crouching at your door and drawing you in. And, and we've all, like I said, we've all been envious. We've been envious of other people's spouses or boyfriend or girlfriend. We've been envious of other people's income or the, or the homes uh, that they live in or the vacations where they go or the grades that they're getting or the body shape that they have. And let's talk about social media. Social media serves up on a platter, envy. We've all been there. And sadly, we'll probably all be there again. Now, we most likely, hopefully, I, I think everyone in here, I think everyone tuned online, I think I, I think I can say this, we most likely will not kill the person that we're envious of. I'm, come on, I got enough work. I don't need to do anything like that, okay? <laughs> but we'll hurt somebody. If nobody else, we'll hurt ourselves. Because that's what envy does. It haunts you. It, it robs you and it hurts the people around you. And it's part of the human condition. It's the sickness within. And so this morning, as we take on the sicknesses that are within us, we're gonna address the question is, how do we fight envy? And let's lump in envy, envy's evil cousins, jealousy, covetousness, selfish ambition. There's, there's a number of them. And we deal with them and they are real in our lives. And so this morning, what I want us to look at is I want us to look at 
How do we battle envy? Now, envy, just so we understand what we're talking about, envy is that painful feeling inside when somebody has something or someone that you want, but they possess it and you don't. And that painful feeling that I'm talking about, it, 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 can, it, can be, um, it can be anger, it can be angst, it can be resentment. There's just, you look at them in a way like, yeah. And it eats you up. Now, it is similar to, but different from jealousy. Jealousy actually is, and we confuse jealousy and envy all the time. Jealousy is when you have a fear of living something that you have and you become jealous of whatever that threat is to what you have and they might take it. A very obvious example would be if someone were to be flirting with my wife, I would become jealous. They're, they're trying to take something I have. Of course, I'd walk over, I'd flex and all would be well. <laughs> okay, so let's add lying to what I'm talking about this morning, right? Well, covetousness, covetousness is when you want something that somebody else has, but it doesn't have those painful feelings. There's not like, like I'm gonna keep you from getting it or I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it from you. It's like, wow, I really want that. Now, clearly, if you stay there, envy is not far away. That's just how envy works. And so this morning, the question is, how do we fight envy and its evil cousins? Well, we're going to, thankfully, we've got God's word. God's word has a lot to say about envy and the sickness that's within us. So to start the answer to that question, how do we fight envy? Let's get to our table of contents. And you've got an Old Testament and New Testament. And I want us, we're gonna be looking at a number of passages of scripture, but I want you to look in the New Testament. It's the book of James. It's about two thirds of the way down in your New Testament table of contents. And whatever page that corresponds to, you'll be at James chapter one. Let's get to James Chapter number two, it's right after Hebrews. Big old book of Hebrews, you got James. James chapter number three. I said two, didn't I? I meant three. James chapter three, verses 13 through 16. Follow along with me if you would. Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. To really begin to fight envy, the first thing we need to recognize, we must recognize, is that envy is evil. That's a strong word. Dare I say demonic. We've got to address this issue with the severity and the significance and the weight of it. Envy, my friends, is no joke. So when you see something and you want it and it's not yours, but it's somebody else's, when you begin to feel that, when you, when you, and that then turns maybe into to angst and those painful feelings, don't think that's no big deal. It's demonic, it's, it's evil. And like any other sin that we fight and must fight, it begins with godly sorrow, godly grief, true remorse. We can't just say, I know I shouldn't do that, but inside our hearts, we're like, it's not that big a deal. My friends, it's evil. It's demonic. 
and we must attack it with godly sorrow. Let me read to you, and if this isn't highlighted in your Bible, it should be. Because this is how we attack every sin in our lives. It's gotta start here. If you bypass this step, and it is the first step, you will not and I will not fight successfully the sin that's in our lives and the sickness that's within. In 2 Corinthians chapter seven, let me begin reading with verse nine. Paul has written a hard letter that has challenged the Corinthians, people just like you and me, and it's hurt them. He's had hard things to say to them and deservedly so. And in verse nine, he says, now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. Repentance is a fancy word for, man, you stopped it and you turned and went the other direction towards the right thing. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice, in every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. He's saying, look what it did to you. Look how it drove you away from the things that were hurting you. That's what godly grief does. Worldly sorrow doesn't do that. When you're caught and you're embarrassed and those kinds of things, and you say, I'm sorry, that won't get you very far in really changing what got you there to begin with. But when you're grieved, and I, I've experienced both. I have experienced, I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry, but I'm not gonna say I'm really not sorry, but I'm gonna act like I'm sorry, and I'm really not. And nothing really changes. But when I experience godly grief, godly sorrow, and I, and I really realize, God, I have hurt your heart first and foremost, man, that's where change happens. That's where the motivation to want to change happens. And so to really fight envy, to recognize how evil it is, we must, we must allow the the process of godly sorrow to have its way in our lives. And notice what James says in verse 16. He says, there is disorder. (laughs) That is an understatement. When you are battling envy and I'm battling envy and it's evil cousins, there's an unrest of epic proportions. There's no joy, there's no peace, there's, there's like anger. There's almost like resentment, there's, there's bitterness and, and, and it makes you do crazy things like you gossip about that person to kind of assassinate their character so somehow you feel better because you're kind of letting something out in a very dysfunctional way. Uh, there's no contentment. Am I alone in this? I mean, come on, help me out here. Am I alone in this? This is, this is how envy works. This is what it does. This is what he does. Satan's very first ploy involved envy to Adam and Eve. God said, I give you everything. Just leave the knowledge of good and evil up to me. Don't decide that for yourselves. You you take what I say is good and what I say is evil and you believe that and you live by that and everything else is yours. What does Satan do? Satan tempts Adam and Eve to say, Oh, but that tree, that that knowledge of good and evil, don't you really want that? It's God's, but you can have it too. And the rest is history there. Yeah, envy drew them in and it draws us in. Envy is that strong and we all have that sickness within us. So 
we must recognize the evil for, that it is, for what it is, confess it, uh, seek godly sorrow, and then walk in repentance. Now, where does envy come from? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about our hearts. And let's just turn to Mark chapter 7, or if it'll be up on the screen, verse 20. He listened to Jesus is saying, what comes out of a person that defiles him? What comes out of a person that defiles him? Excuse me, he didn't ask us a question. For from within, our people's, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within a defiled person. So where does envy come from? My friends, it comes from within. It comes from within our hearts and the sickness that is within them. And that sickness that we have, I have broken it up into two ways to understand it. There certainly could be more than that. But the first is our unhealthy desires. We have unhealthy desires. These are the things that can hurt us when we compromise to get them and to satisfy them. And these are things like fame. When we want fame so that we can get the glory and we can be famous, my friends, that is an unhealthy desire that will lead to envy because you'll see other people with the fame that you want and it will draw you in. Power to benefit you and your agenda, not to serve other people. I mean, these are just natural, normal things. Body shape so that you can feel good about yourself and you pursue that and you see it in other people and you're just chasing envy down. Or our possessions, the things that we want and we get into debt and we're over our head and we can't do the things that God really wants us to do with the resources that he gives us. And so we just chase headlong envy with these healthy desires, unhealthy desires that we seek after. But let's talk about healthy desires. I mean, even healthy desires or affections, they can lead to envy as well. And that is when our affections are misprioritized. In other words, these are good things that we desire, but we have them out of order. And when our greatest affection, when my greatest affection is not God, but it's my wife, or it's my health, or it's my children, all good things. But the moment you take a good thing and you put it in the God spot, you've taken a good thing and made it a God thing. And there is only one God that can carry the full weight of all your hopes and your dreams and your expectations and really what your heart desires, and that is Yahweh. That is the, our Father. It is not Nancy, it is not my children, it is not my health. As, as, as often, sometimes I'm prone to wander to make them that, they cannot carry the weight of my expectations and my desires, and they cannot carry the weight of yours as well. John Calvin called the heart an idol factory. Our hearts produce idols in our lives. In other words, our heart produces and seeks after things that will bring us happiness and joy and contentment and security. And it's one thing after another. And if it's not God, my friends, you're chasing headlong with a dissatisfied, unhealthy heart. You are chasing headlong envy. And how does that envy that's within our hearts, how does it come out? What triggers it? It's what we all do at different times and we probably have done today in some way. It's when we begin to compare ourselves and our situation to others. And it often looks like this, right? It often looks like this. When I was on sabbatical, for the 10 weeks I was on sabbatical, 
Again, I thank you for that. I was off social media. And I wouldn't say before that I'm a big social media person. In all honesty, as your pastor, I'm on social media for two reasons and, and, and in this order. I'll start with the bottom one. Second is I'm on there to keep up with some friends. But for me, I like to do that on the phone. I'm old school. I like to talk. But secondly is to see what in the world you guys are doing. <laughs> in all honesty, how do I shepherd? How do I shepherd you? How do, I, how do I know about how things are going on and maybe I need to intervene and, and I, I don't know because you haven't filled out a connect card and, and how are you doing, that kind of thing. But I didn't miss it for a second. I'm, I'm back on it now for those reasons and I, and I found myself at times, you know, I, as I'm doing this a little bit, uh, Envy's just over here going, hey, stop there. Wow, look at the pictures of that vacation. Whew. Wow, think about how much he's got to make for them to go there. Or for them, I mean, it's, it's just, it's right there. And we have to be really, really careful. And, and, and it's triggered when we start comparing ourselves to other people and comparing our situation to their situation. And Satan just kind of invites us right along just by tempting us, come on in to envy. Come on in. Let me, let me, let me, let me just work inside of you in a, really, in a way that's gonna rob you of what God wants for you. So where does envy come from? It comes from a dissatisfied heart that begins to look around and starts to compare and starts to desire and the painful feelings of I should have that, they shouldn't. I want that, I need that, I gotta get that. Envy is not only crouching at your door, has busted in and sitting in your living room with the remote. <laughs> now, how do we fight it? What do we do to fight it? Well, in Galatians chapter five, look what Galatians chapter five, again, this should, be, this should pop up on the screen here. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Well, what's the desire of the flesh? Paul, glad you asked. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So what Paul is saying is if we walk by the Spirit, we can fight successfully, among many things, envy. Well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, first off, and how do we fight envy? Well, we walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? How do we fight envy? We fight it super naturally. It requires supernatural intervention. It requires supernatural innovation. You cannot, and I cannot do this by trying harder, using more willpower and strength. We cannot and will not fight envy and its evil cousins. Momentarily, we might look like we're having some success, but in the end, we will not have the joy, the peace, the contentment, it will elude us because Satan and envy is just way too strong. And so we need to fight it supernaturally. Well, how do we fight it supernaturally? Well, we walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means we have the Spirit of God that comes inside of us that we are able to employ to fight envy. And how does that happen? Where does that begin? It when you come to the end of realizing everything I'm trying to do, I'm trying to please God, I'm trying to be happy in life, 
and, and I just, I, I feel like I'm behind. That's God's way of saying, I never designed your life for you to live it alone and by your rules. It has always been you as my creation, as my image bearer, it has always been and always will be, life will make sense when things are right between you and me. And so he sent Jesus Christ so that Jesus could come and he could reshape the whole world and reshape you and me one person at a time so that the world is reshaped. And Jesus lived the life you couldn't that I couldn't. And then he died a death for you and I so that God would accept his death on our behalf when we put our faith in his death so that we could be forgiven. And then he could reshape in us the per person he always wanted us to be, which means that we could be successful against envy and its evil cousins. So it starts when we're right with God and that comes through Christ. And then, and, and when we're right with God and we, we receive the spirit of God, we actually receive a new heart with new desires and new passions and new affections for the things of God. Now we have within us the ability to desire things that even though our heart's trying to produce at times, these, these, this factory, producing idols and other things, we have the ability to say, no, no, it's God. It's prioritizing God and being right with him. We have the ability to do that. And so then Paul says that we walk. It's another way of what I did. If you remember a few weeks ago, remember how much fun it was for me to ride my bike around here? And, and, and the message was, are you pedaling, right? Or are you pushing? And the idea is, is your life supernatural? And I asked the question, are you experiencing the supernatural life of God? Because it's a supernatural relationship. And we need the supernatural to fight envy. And, and, and so to walk in the spirit means that we are staying connected to Jesus. It's another way of saying when Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides or he who remains in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says another way, walk in the spirit, stay connected to Christ through prayer. Uh, through reading the Bible and reflecting on the Bible, through worship. I mean, when you come in here, are you worshiping? Are you connecting to Jesus that way? Are you waiting to get to this part, the teaching? That's how I, for the longest time, I didn't even sing, because I can't sing. I thought singing was for, you know, like the super religious people. I just wanted someone to teach me the Bible because I was new and I wanted to learn it. I mean, I mean a step in my relationship with God, a, a humongous step was when I began to worship. When I actually came to worship, not for me, <laughs> that selfish sickness within me, but when I came for God and to thank him and to praise him, big, big change for me. I suspect it would be the same for you and there are others that could also testify to, the, to that exactly. But you know what many people think when they talk about obedience, which is another way to, to walk in the spirit, they, they, they obey God and the way they obey God is they, they don't know what it says here, really. They just kind of use common sense and they would do, well, if I was God, this is what I think is right and this is what I think is wrong. That's exactly what Adam and Eve tried to do. But when we, we, we obey God, I mean, even Jesus says, he goes, he who keeps my commands, he's the one who loves me. And some of his commands are hard. And, and you wouldn't think common sense, our culture would not tell us that sex before marriage is wrong. If you love the person, okay. But that's not what God's word says. So there's some things that, that we need to obey that are hard. Culture would certainly say that same-sex marriage is okay. 
God's word says, no, it's not. Some of us would say, you know what? It's okay if I kind of get drunk or buzzed a little bit. I'm just staying at home. It's no big deal. I'm not driving. So I'm okay. No, you're not. That's not what God's word says. And so unless we really apply and obey God's word, we're not walking in the spirit, which gives us the ability and empowers us to fight envy among many other things. So we just need to understand that. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. And when you're walking in the spirit, there are signs of the supernatural life happening. Is it happening in your life? There's a denying of self, a surrendering of self where you really truly give the remote over to God. You give the keys over to God. You say, God, whatever your will is, that's what I'm gonna do. When you're giving thanks for everything that God has given you and you're naming down to the smallest of things, but you're really thankful. And now I'm gonna meddle a little bit here, okay? If I haven't already, I'm, I'm sorry I waited this long. <clears throat> the content of your prayer life and the content of my prayer life will really tell you what chance you stand against envy. If the content of your prayer life is you asking God for things more than thanking him for the things that you have, you do not stand really a chance against envy because you're still looking for things. When you can get to that place, you've surrendered, you've denied yourself, and you just start thanking God for the things that you have, the fact that your lungs are breathing, your heart is beating, you have clothes on your body, you slept under a roof, you live in an amazing country with the freedoms that we have. When you just thank him and you're honestly thankful, you are stepping on envy's air hose, my friend. You're starting to choke him out. Supernatural life shows up when we have our, an eternal perspective. When we, re we really are not living for here. We're not succumbing to, to, the, to the temptations to find our happiness and our security and our identity here. We know we have it in Christ and we know what awaits us in life to come and we are just simply um, on a vacation. We're, we're, we're on an assignment and we're living lightly. That, my friends, is when you know that you're walking by the Spirit and you have a fighting chance against envy. Now, one other way that we fight envy, and I think it's important, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is a familiar passage I think we've read many times, but listen to what Paul says. No, no, note that he is writing this in prison. And in verse 10 of Philippians chapter four, I'll, I'll get there. It's in the girls eat popcorn sections, Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, just a little helpful memory device there for you. Girls eat popcorn. Philippians 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know both how to have little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. How do we fight envy? We walk in the spirit supernaturally, but we also learn to be content. We, we go on a, a contentment journey. And, and this really, as we're seeking to do this, this really is we're stepping on envy's air hose because envy's trying to stir up in you and stir up in me discontent that we go after stuff that isn't ours and may never be. But when we learn to be content, and imagine, imagine the temptation that Paul had to be envious. He's writing 
from prison. I'm sure he's, he could have been tempted to be envying those who were out of prison. He was told often that he was weak in stature, that he was a terrible communicator, but he didn't listen to envy's temptations. He focused on God and who he was in Christ and what God had told him to do. And we, my friends, we are reading arguably the greatest New Testament Christian of all time because he did not give in and succumb to envy. He said, I've learned to be content. Now that, that, that is so, we could just camp out there, but I don't have enough time to do that. But here's what I do want to say about that. What I want you to notice is contentment is not circumstantial. Paul says, I've learned both <clears throat> with a lot and with little to be content. I mean, that flies in the face of our culture. You are bombarded, I am bombarded with messages all the time that if we can control our circumstances, where we live, who we live by, what we make, where we go, what we wear, man, there's, there's life, there's happiness, there's contentment. But Paul is saying, ink, no soup for you. That's not it. He says, I've learned. It's, it's not circumstantial, it's spiritual. It's something that transcends what we see. And, and what does he tie to? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He ties his commitment to Christ. He goes, I've learned in trusting Jesus that that is where real contentment is. Now, now, what does it take to learn something? Well, it takes many things, but let me just share three things with you. It takes time, it takes knowledge, and it takes practice. Those are the three things Paul has learned through time, consistently. You see, envy never gives up. And so what we have to do is we have to be consistent time in and time out to, and, and develop these spiritual habits of walking in the spirit, of staying connected to Christ. That has to be something that we're regularly, religiously, ongoingly doing so that we can learn contentment. It takes knowledge. We, we need to learn where true contentment is. Let me read to you from 1 Peter. Listen, note the connection that Peter makes between envy and how do we fight envy. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, excuse me, verses 1 through 3, Peter says, so rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all, the sl and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk, which is a metaphorical reference to God's word, so that you may grow by it for your salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is saying, if you're not here, you're there. And where's there? Envy, among other things. And then at the end, what he says that I read, he says, since, since what? He goes, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me just ask you honestly, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because if you've never tasted that the Lord is good, you have no chance against envy. Because your heart is going to continue and our culture is going to continue to try to get your attention off to something else that will make you happy, but it will not because it will never taste the way the Lord tastes. It just won't. Nothing will fill you like Jesus can. 
Nothing will give you meaning and purpose like Jesus can. Nothing will be able to love you and provide for you and give you a hope like Jesus can. And unless you taste that, you have no chance and I have no chance against envy. And when you realize that Jesus is all you need, and my friends, here's what's gonna happen. Don't shoot the messenger. God will put you in a place, whether it's now or at the very end of your life, he will put you in a place where all you will have left is Jesus. And the real question that's gonna matter then is he's gonna say to you, am I enough? And however you answer that, really, and however I answer that determines what kind of chance we stand against envy. So, how do we learn? How did Paul learn? He learned through time and consistency, trusting in Christ. He knew God. He knew what God had to say about him and what God had for him. And then thirdly, he put it into practice. At some point, you, you can read it, you can believe it, you can spend time in it, but you then have to walk out in it and you have to put it into practice. And you have to realize that when, th- when your circumstances aren't going the way you want them, rather than scrambling around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to control all your circumstances, you just have to stop. And as the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. And just say, I'm not gonna try to change my circumstances. I'm gonna rest right where you've got me, God. And I'm gonna believe and I'm gonna trust in you. You do that, envy doesn't stand a chance or his evil cousins. And that is how we battle the sickness that's within all of us. So my challenge for you this week is that you would confess your envy and whatever evil cousins are right along with him to someone you can trust. Just come out and say, you know what? I've got to confess to you that I have been envious or I have been jealous or I have coveted this or I have the selfish ambition to do that. Confess it with someone you can trust. Secondly, is be honest with yourself and rank your affections. Really find out where is God? Look at your pocketbook, look at your time, look at the thoughts and what you think about. Look at what what motivates you. And really ask yourself, is God at the top? Because if he's not, you have a disordered, misprioritized, unhealthy heart. And you, and you gotta address that. Thirdly is to take a break from social media. I strongly recommend it. And anything else that might draw you in. And then lastly, and this may sound so innocuous, my friends, be purposeful and thank God every day for everything that comes to mind. Pick some time, morning or evening, whatever it is, get away from everything and just just, just start thanking him and make that a regular practice. And each time you're doing that, I just want you to think about it. You are taking your foot and you are putting it on the throat of envy and you're saying, die, sucker. That's what you're doing. <laughs> That's what you're doing, okay? All right. God, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the, the great men and women of God who have gone before us. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for his life the life you gave him, and how you inspired him to write words that are your words that we could live by. And I pray we would do that for your glory and our gain in Christ's name. Amen.